off the ball. I don't think Springboks are in crisis because you would hate for a team that is so phenomenally good a year out from the World Cup to be world number one and then to go out in the quarterfinals. Yes, yeah, Stephen, we, we need to subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. For the first time in about three years, I think, Alan Quinlan is in studio. Good morning to you, Quinny. Morning, Adrian and Ashley. I was here over the summer. How were you? After the New Zealand tour. I wasn't. Yeah, I was here. Well, good to see you. Yeah, you too. How's life? Uh, good, thanks, yeah. Yeah, yeah good. Oh, good. Um, you've been sort of mulling over, you've taken the summer to mull over the best 15 that you've ever played against over the course of your career, so we're going to come to it's that no in a no-win situation. It is absolutely no win. I've been looking at it last night and I was like, oh, how could he let him out? But we'll get to that in a minute. There was a couple of things I just wanted to ask you about. First of all, the uh, Lawrence Delalio comments yesterday, I don't know if you saw them, but he was talking about the balance of power shift from the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere in the context of the World Cup. He said, at no point since New Zealand won in 87 have the hemispheres been as close as they are now talks about the top four in the world rankings been from the Northern Hemisphere up to very recently and he says there's been a genuine shift in the balance of power France, Ireland and possibly England have a good chance uh, as they had in any previous year as he's talking about winning the World Cup so the overall point being that the Northern Hemisphere is now stronger than the Southern Hemisphere um, I think the world rankings sometimes can be a bit skewed we, we've experienced that in 2018 yeah. didn't we and um, it probably it can change very very quickly you know a couple of results even you know, November will will dictate a lot of that. Um, South Africa are coming here, New Zealand, Australia, um, and they're playing a lot of tough games. You know, some of we've only three games the Irish team, but you know, England are playing four, Scotland are playing four, Wales are playing four, and um, I think it's how you kind of how the Southern Hemisphere kind of react to them. Mm. They're quite difficult games from. You think Australia have to play France and. Um, are they going to win there? New Zealand coming playing England. Um, England will be rubbing their hands together, thinking tweaking them again, and um, it's difficult for New Zealand because they're inconsistency. But has the gap closed? Probably. I think. Um, what, what, what I think the, the difference for me with the Northern Hemisphere teams is, and, and look, I can only, I can pre- sp- probably speak stronger on it being there in New Zealand for Ireland, mm. um, and. The New Zealand situation, I think, and we've probably seen a fair inconsistency from them and probably a lack of patience around their attack when they're used to being pretty dominant against teams and scoring after three, four phases. Um, they've probably got to do it a little bit different now and be a bit more patient, particularly when you came up, Ireland, they came up against an Ireland side who were very, very well organised. And you could argue in that first test, you know, they scored, was it five tries, six tries? Mm. But I think four or five of them were probably preventable and one or two fortunate if you know what I mean which sounds crazy when you're saying something like that but I think um, they probably got to adapt a little bit more when they're playing the Northern Hemisphere because you're coming up against sides who are pretty well organised defensively mm. and that's probably the difference in the last 20 years that Lawrence is talking about mm. every team is good defensively now you have to be patient um, get your fundamentals right your set piece South Africa, the team, of course, who on their day can overpower teams and really physically assert themselves. So the gap probably has closed, um, but I wouldn't be getting too carried away with it. Um, I think you've nine World Cups, as, as he said, and, and eight have been by the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. France are probably best placed next year at the World Cup, you would imagine, to, to have a run. France, New Zealand, Ireland are on a really difficult side of the draw because if you look at 
what will happen in the quarterfinals. You know, they and I kind of wrote down names here. I think you think in us. I put down Australia, Argentina in in one quarter final. Ireland, New Zealand in another. We take the twenty. England, Wales, and France, South Africa, and that's England, Wales will be a belter of a game. But England have a quite you would you the way you look at where they're at and the pool they're in. They've got Japan, Argentina, Samoa, and Chile. You know, I think are they going to be very taxed after that, and then. They're on the Wales, Australia. And Wales are the World Cup, though. I mean, Argentina's like, side of the draw. So they're going. Effectively, England are going to play Wales or Australia. Yeah. And you think. You'd probably take Australia at this stage, wouldn't you? Like yeah, Wales possibly. The World Cup yeah. But you think England are in a semi final there? They're in a situation where they're getting to a semi final. Probably the best chance we had, and the probably. I wouldn't say the easiest, but the best path we had was in 2015. Um. And with all due respect, Argentina can be incredible sometimes. And I go back to 2017, when I I was at the World Cup. That was an incredibly strong Argentina side. And they're very dominant against Ireland. But you kind of fancied that side. Maybe 2011 with with Wales um, in that quarterfinal, you think maybe that's an easier path through. Mm. You're avoiding South Africa. You're avoiding New Zealand. You're avoiding England. Um, But... It hasn't happened for Ireland. So they're on a side now where they're going to play. If they come out of the group, because I keep saying this every time I talk about it, you just can't discount Scotland because they're going to get a lot of motivation out of everybody talking about Ireland and South Africa coming out of that group in, in, in Pool B. But look, it's a long time away. It is. I think it's si- and we, we lived it, didn't we, in, in 2019? Yeah. You know, we went into Six Nations after being ranked number one in the world, world coach of the year, world player of the year, world team of the year at the end of 2018 to getting smothered by England in our first Six Nations game and then it kind of fracturing a little bit, that whole team kind of bond or, or, or energy that they had and, and it ended up being a very disappointing year. So it can change very quickly, but... Um, I do agree with him that it possibly has closed a little bit, but the proof will be in the pudding because with those November fixtures, you know, um, I think Australia are a very dangerous side when you see they've had a lot of injuries and a lot of inconsistencies again. um, And you see, it's, it's hard to judge, isn't it? Argentina beat New Zealand, South Africa get well beaten by Australia and then it's a role reversal the week after. So, it's kind of hard to know where it, where they're all at. Um, one very quick one before we get into your selection on the, your your best fifteen. Um, the RFU mooting the idea that uh, they could put players' names in the backs of jerseys. The Nigel Owens gif of uh, it's not soccer, you know, um, sort of came to mind when that happened. And we've been in contact with the IRFU about it to see if they any comment about it. It's not something that's on the radar at the minute. Maybe something down the track. So nice sort of loose catch-all there. Um, have you any? sort of moral objection to players' names in the I backstory. don't know I don't know what I'd be for it because um, I kind of have a feeling that you know without being disrespectful to other sports that, that use the names I think the thing about getting a, an international jersey in particular is you kind of don't own it um, you earn the right like you are doing all the interna- international when you play in an international team and I don't know, initials or something like that would be enough for me if you got your initials or something on I just don't know about seeing all the names on the backs of the jerseys and changing from one week because there's a fair few changes in it and mm. 
if I was kind of 23rd or 4th man in an Irish squad and kind of chomping to get into that 23 um, I don't it, know does it make any difference around selection because they can no. change names and it's the sort quickly. of thing that'll probably come in at some point or another and it probably just will. become yeah. like, I'm not totally in. against yeah. it but I just I don't know if it needs to happen you know what I mean um, it, I think the reasoning and it's been probably the RFU in, 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 are, are driving this in England is, is more exposure for players, players maybe it's yeah. agents behind the scenes that are saying well we've a greater chance to market and look if it does market the names and the game a bit more you know I don't have an issue yeah. with it but I'm just not saying God I, I if I was in an Irish squad now, I'd want Quinlan on the back of the jersey when I go out and play. I think mm. everybody knows the team is. Did I think they have the other Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Like, no, you, yeah, yeah but you get that. you get jerseys and you get yeah. your name on them and you get different sorts of presentations and and you know you get the cap and all that. Mm. So, um, but look, I'm not totally against it, but I'm not sure it's something I'd be pushing for. And or, it or has want been to see. something that was done before. Wales did it, didn't they? Did they a few years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I had seen that online that they had done it. I think it was maybe 2008 around yeah. then that they had they had the names on. I wonder why it didn't continue though. Maybe I don't know. It was something. Sound about sounds about right for Wales. It's like <laughs> cheapening the jersey. <laughs> right, let's get into it. Your best 15 that you've played against through your career, Quinny, and. Uh, We'll, will we start, we'll start at the uh, backs. Let's get going with the backs first and we can we can move from there. Do you want to kick us off and fall back? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to stay away from Irish players because I just didn't... I don't want to be meeting well, fellas. Uh, look... <laughs> what you mean is you wanted to stay away from Leinster players because well, uh, like you didn't play against... Well, you didn't play against... I played in club, ga- club games. I get out of it. You yeah. couldn't... We wouldn't no, accept look, I that. think if you're picking a team that you played against, you're trying to pick guys at the peak of their power. I think that's... I was kind of thinking what... How, how do I pick the players here because there's a scatter of unbelievable mm. players that you could go from and um, full back was one area that I kind of um, struggled to kind of find real standouts uh, a number of them um, obviously the standout that I, the player I picked was Rob Carney because I played against him a lot and mm. um, I played with him um, and just given the period of time that he played I think he was the best in the business you know, I got picked on the Lions tour in 2009 and he was picked mm. and I remember the obviously I didn't go but after afterwards watching the, his performances in those test matches and he got picked again in 13 so the proof is in the pudding that he was right up at the top of of, of probably the best in the world you at that time played against Mills Mullaina in your last game for Ireland yeah he's, incredible he's player he's in the same way incredible with another player. one that would be in the mix yeah for sure but they, I think Probably because I played a bit more. Um, I remember playing against Percy Montgomery. He was incredibly dominant for South Africa. Um, Liam Williams, at the start of his career, um, he played full-back. Probably was a bit unknown when, he, when at the very start when Munster played the Scarlets. I didn't play against him internationally. Maxime Maydard, uh, he came to mind. It's it, it, You want to try and pick guys who you remember mm. come to your mind without actually having to go Googling yeah, and too yeah. much research. Is that a little bit unfair sometimes? But um, well, it's some any of the players you mentioned there at full-back, you could you go know, with any of them. anybody what? could take them, you know. Give us your two wing positions. Um, again, people who just came to mind were, were um, you know, Jason Robinson. I haven't played against him um, a number of times. Um, I just thought he was incredible. Pace, people forget the pace. Step, the off the, chart. And the transition from rugby league over, and I think he was very powerful and physical for for not the biggest guy. Yeah. Um, 
he was a poacher on the ground um, and look his talent was incredible um, and even as uh, under the high ball you think at the start people were thinking well we kicked the ball high to him but he was actually really good in the air and he played full back for England a number of times as well um, the other wing I think is self-explanatory isn't it I think I got I think one of, I got one of his shoelaces in, in 2002 <laughs> in Auckland um, having coming off the bench um, and uh, yeah he was incredible sure he was a uh, you know, iconic figure in the game, and uh, sadly not 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 around now. But um, I think every, no, there isn't too many arguments with picking John Olomu on the on the other wing. So you you played against him once, was it? I I think it was twice, twice. Uh, but just I think being on the field alone with him um, was. Um, I think you'd be a bit pretty nervous. Um, I, I and someone said to me. I actually was chatting to someone last night and they said to me, would, would he make the same impact in the modern game? Mm. Probably not the same kind of running out over people because technically and physically players are stronger nowadays than when you think back to that World Cup in 95 when he was running out over um, players and, and the impact he made. Um, because we probably saw a very similar type player in Julian Sevea, um in the last number of years that he played for New Zealand and the impact he had so Was there chatter about him Quinny because I was, I was listening to I, I want to say Will Carling but that seems to be as if those I don't know if those areas cross one of those sort of old school England players for sure um, in the World Cup talking about seeing him so they were prepared for him and they were chatting away about him in advance of the game and then it, they came out in the tunnel and he was like holy shit what are we going to do with this guy was there the same sense of it in the Irish setup that time or what was the conversation yeah I him? think so yeah I remember Gary Longwell made a tackle on him um, he, the Irish second or from, from from Ulster and it was a brilliant tackle and I went God, this geez, maybe he can tackle this guy in that first test in Dunedin um, in 2002 and uh, you know a lot of the Irish players did he didn't kind of he didn't have that impact that he would have had I think from 95 to around 99 that World Cup that's when he did all the damage and people didn't know how to defend him obviously the South Africans in the final and James Small was right up in his face and stopping the acceleration and him getting going but um, um, yeah of course uh, of course there is but um, I think and, and again you know he was so unfortunate that we didn't see a run of 10 years out of, out of John Alomu with, with his illness and stuff like that but incredible player in his time the midfield feels like probably the best midfield of all time including every midfield player who's ever played the game well it's hard to to, to kind of um, it's unfair to compare the amateur era because physically and technically mm. the players are, are bigger they, they're professionals they have time to work on the game could you have taken some from the amateur could Mike Gibson have had the same effect mm. um, you know Brendan Mullin was, was an incredible Irish international as well and achieve so much would they have been different and better and physically stronger of course they would have but you know picking Man Anu and Brian O'Driscoll I don't think again of course you can debate it I could have put a couple of other centres in there um, and 
What was it like playing against? Because you would have known Brian obviously so well from bidding camp and known him about the place and stuff. What was it like coming up against him again? Like almost that same question about how much chat was about him because he was such a standout, world class, yeah. inarguable player in the conversation for World Player of the Year every year. What was what would the conversation be in the Munster camp about dealing with him in the week of a game? Um, just not giving him space, and I think um, trying to make sure that you had, you know, you were on the money and, and switched on. Um, when when a player of his ability and calibre, he wasn't a player that feared. You know, like I always thought, when people say who 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 did you have a fear against when you played? Fear is about physically um, being fearful first. Yeah. I think you know it's like encountering someone up a dark laneway. Like, is it a physical fear or is it? Um, and, and I kind of thought that way in rugby. Like, who who do you fear is going to hurt you here physically? When you go to tackle him, things like that. So most of the backs there, um, although Nanu was a bit different, um, but Dricko was incredibly powerful and um, just really quick, intelligent. And if you, as I said, if you, he could do things that other players couldn't do. You know, his lines are running, his intelligence in the game. He was the full package. And I think when I talk about the physical, could Dricko hurt, you know, it's probably you're not meeting a big massive beast on the field but he was incredibly physical mm. and he loved the collisions and another uh, good man to poach a counter rocker yeah. and a poacher yeah and probably himself and Darcy for Ireland were so effective for a number of years but um, yeah full package really you know I think and um, that's again pretty self-explanatory Dan Carter and Justin Marshall in the halfbacks yeah we didn't say much about Nano, but again he's uh, Nana could have played in the back row or, or as a number eight. And, and longevity uh, as well. like Yeah, and incredible skills too. Subtle touch. Um, w- would truck it up when he needed to, and, and, but also could just put it through the hands. Like, um, yeah, Dan Carter then and Justin Marshall, halfback, favouring a few New Zealanders there. But Johnny Wilkinson must have come close. Yeah, he did, that. and I stayed away from the, from the O'Gara Sexton scenario because, again, I didn't play against them when they were at the top of their game so obviously I played with Rog mm. for a long long period and they're worth mentioning because if you were picking particularly in the professional era um, if you were picking you know the greatest fly halves that have played the game I think they, they come up and you know Sexton keeps getting better and keeps if you, if you consider those four at the peak of their powers to change the question slightly Wilkinson Sexton O'Gara and Carter see I knew you'd get me uh, <laughs> uh, into this <laughs> you don't make um, it easy Adrian <laughs> oh. where would you go what's your order actually I'm not giving you an order but I said I'm, I'm still probably leaning with Carter because yeah. of his incredible ability to run with the ball mm. I think he, again he was someone when he was really quick um, that when he was at the top of his game you could you could nearly put him on the wing he had incredible acceleration he had an ability to score a lot of tries which maybe the others didn't mm. um, physically an unbelievable specimen and um, you know the, the attacking and the kicking game and everything full package and you think of that line's Performance in Wellington in all five, um, phenomenal, and what he, what, you know, the longevity again. So, all top class players. I went for, I went for Carter scrum half. I had to think a little bit more about that, and 
I was always a great fan of, of Justin Marshall even though I wanted to kill him on the field when I played against him and I played a bit more against him because when he went to Saracens and went to Ospreys we had a we played against him I've become great pals with him over the years he had an arrogance about him and a kind of a cockiness that you love in a scrum half mm-hmm. that you would love to be playing with him because he just he he backed his ability and had that swagger as a scrum half if you're playing against him you want to clip him and you want to get at him And uh, but I just think again he was he was a running scrum half as well you know George Gregan was a, would have been in the mix yeah I would have played against him um, I think once or twice a couple, maybe two or three times because we played Australia and a couple of my caps um, were you know on tour there and, and, and in Dublin as well and yeah I, again it's leaving someone out like that um, Mike Phillips kind of came to mind because right. we played against him a lot with Scarlets and Wales and uh, I just think that his physicality and uh, presence as well but I think Marshall kind of was the full package for me um, Let's get into into it uh, in the pack I'm going to scoot through the front row we've Tony Woodcock Keith Wood and Phil Vickery Ibanez might be a few other names that might have come close but Absolutely yeah I put Woody in there because I would have played against Woody for Quinns in 97 yeah. um, when And we, also when if you met played. him after picking your team and you had an Yeah team. but you could have put <laughs> That you know, too You know you could have put a couple of more hookers in there as well and um, as you say Ibanez was one that but steps right up Again I don't think any players will be offended by this um, not being selected on Alan Quinlan's best team he, he played against your, your short list for the second row and you can you can announce the winners uh, Victor Matfield Backies Botha Brad Thorne Fabian Palouse Martin Johnson Yeah I kind of There's probably more but I mean that's, that's a, Of that's course there is um, Alan Wynne-Jones um, Did you say him? I didn't uh, Ben yeah. Kay Players who had an impact as well in the time I was. Ben Kay won a World Cup, mm. um, won European Cups, beat us in the European final, was a brilliant line-out operator. Again, what are you judging on overall play or, or, or expertise in their area? He was someone who was ahead of everyone running a line-out, calling line-outs, um, stealing line-outs. Matfield, you know, he was a genius. He was like Paul, obviously, mm. you know, the way they could run a line-out and the impact. Um Martin Johnson, for what he did, I think, goes in there because um, I just think he was an incredible leader and the impact he had on, on obviously, winning a World Cup with England and winning lots of trophies with Leicester A player well. that you tried to target when you were playing against him or you just leave him off to you don't want to ride um, him? Target, in a sense, you want to kind of get stuck into him and get in his face. and, and uh, But he was tough as, he was tough as nails, you know what I mean? Um, he was pure English mm. if you understand what I mean like it was it was he was incredibly passionate and he kind of riled you up um, that you wanted to get at him and get in his face and stuff like that but he was a brilliant player you know I, 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 I remember the 97 Lions tour going this guy's as tough as nails mm. you know to go there as a young player and um, have the impact he had on winning that series in 97 and again longevity you know probably not the most skillful player in the world he's not going to be your ball player if he's in the modern game uh, but work rate honesty passion um, line out ability physicality um, and leadership you know he was it's hard to leave him out I think if you're picking two footballing kind of second rows you're, you're you know you're going <laughs> 
Victor Matfield to leave him out is is really difficult. Yeah. So I and so I went for Backy's boat. I went for two brutes in the second <laughs> row. Um, that says a lot about you, Quinny. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's but, let's get into the back row. So I'll give some of the options here, and again, there'll be more. But you can pick your. Uh, I should have mentioned Rob Holy at scrum half as well. Oh yeah, Someone yeah, yeah. Who kind of came to my mind as well. He was a brilliant player, incredible for Cardiff, Wales, Lions. Uh, across the back row, Richard Hill. Uh, Serge Betson Rocky Elsom Olivia Magna George Smith Richie McCall Jamie Heaslip Lawrence Delalio it's not a bad lineup. what three have yeah, you got Francois Pinar out there and, Pinar yeah um, Jerry Collins right um, did you say Schalke Berger I didn't Heron no. Ordecky wow um, Emmanuel Heron Ordecky what a footballer what a player mm-hmm. um, Francois Pinar when we played against them in 99-2000 with Munster um, I had his book um, I think it got it the previous year, and I had to get him to. I wanted him to sign the book <laughs> after the, the game in Thoman Park. I didn't have the confidence to do it over in um, in Vicarage Road uh, when we when we beat them the first time pre Christmas that year. Um, you know, he was an incredible player. I just think the ones that kind of jumped up out and I played against a lot were. I, I just thought Richard Hill. Um, Phenomenal footballer, mm. you know, phenomenal player. He goes in a blind side, you have him in. Um, Jerome Kano, again, what a player. Um, Lawrence Delalio, I just think I love Lawrence. I love Lawrence with the the passion, mm. the energy. Fellow, you'd love to go out onto the field with. Uh, developed his game a lot to uh, being a great ball carrier and very intelligent player. Um, I think that pass in, in that World Cup final to Jason Robinson in 2002 Delalio was involved in that interlink play and I remember thinking God he's become a, a good footballer now um, superb leadership obviously um, and then Richie McCaw at seven you know again self-explanatory um, I played against him a couple of times but when you think you're leaving out someone like Jerry Collins Jerome Kano Thierry Dussetoir Emmanuel Haran Ordecky, Serge Betson, mm. Schalke Berger. Um, you know, you mentioned Heaslip. I didn't play against Jamie, probably. I played, ended up playing with him, um, I think, in that test, that last game that I played against New Zealand. Um, I think he was he was playing that day. Um, but you could put more Irish players in there and, and, and argue the, the, the toss with some of them. But... Um, it's hard to leave some out and yeah. the reason I kind of went I just put him in is because I they came to my mind kind of early and, and I played against them but sure, anybody could pick a team if you picked a team that your favourite team in a professional era um, it, there would be a lot of stars there as well you yeah. know what I mean but yeah, yeah well, it's a hell of a team, team. Queenie is there a trait that all of them have in common like you've mentioned there a few times not the most skillful but the the passion and they're reflective no, I, of your personality some of them you see the other thing is when I played I loved to throw passes 20 yard passes and do cross field kicks and that probably cost me a few caps it certainly <laughs> did with Eddie Eddie O'Sullivan used to be fuming with me not sticking to game plans and trying the stupid things and um, but you know I like I think then, Ashley, and I think if fellas, I would like to go out on the field with. That's and what I, I was and getting People from, often yeah. ask me, what do I miss most about the game? Do I miss the buzz? And, you know, having been in New Zealand, would I love to have played? Not necessarily played, but I love the dressing room. The, that adrenaline rush when you're looking around and there's a few fellas in there that you think, 
I, you wouldn't have to be doing any roaring or shouting with Martin Johnson or Delalio, you know. And um, you can imagine looking across at at, at Keith Wood or or even Drico or Mananu, mm-hmm. um, and thinking. You know they're going to be kind of getting you well pumped up for this, so Maybe yeah, probably team. that bit of you know confrontational yeah. style as well. A Quinlan on the bench. Thanks, William, for coming in. That was great. I Good to see you. Again. <laughs> I'd be about the match five day, miles the match day twenty-four. Out, if you ran the bench about five miles outside the stadium, maybe yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. Thanks, William, Pleasure. for coming in. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.